You are listening to the Massive Report podcast. Welcome to the Massive Report podcast. We are here at Saucy Brew Works on the corner of Michigan and Third. We were debating earlier today, recording on Monday evening, whether or not we should record a podcast tonight after the crew lose 2-1 to Orlando City yesterday. And uh, we were, you know, should we do it today? Should we wait until some news comes out? And then we got some news. If you haven't heard by now, uh, the crew have parted ways with head coach Caleb Porter. And so we decided we definitely need to do a podcast tonight. Obviously, as you've probably guessed by now, uh, we are without Brian, who had some some stuff come up. So uh, I will be, I'm Patrick Murphy, and I will be running the show, so to speak. And Bart's here to keep me in check. Running running in quotes. Yeah, Yeah. and and there's Sam uh, making sure we all sound good. But we're also joined by Brett Hildbrandt. Your, uh, what would you call your title uh, the last couple of years, Brett? I tell people and post-game host and sideline reporter. Okay, well, everyone's familiar for with For Valley Brett. Sports mm-hmm. slash Fox Sports Ohio. R.I.P. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, that's a whole other topic we could get to. Yeah. When, when I originally was going to ask you to come on, that was like, hey, we can talk about what's what's happening here, but certainly have plenty of time. Valley Sports make it through the offseason? <laughs> certainly we have plenty to talk about now. So, the crew obviously missed the playoffs, and it did not take long for a decision to be reached. Bart, what was your initial reaction when you saw the news today that, that Caleb, was, Caleb was out as the head coach? I, you know, it, it's tough. I think I'm not – no one's – I don't think anyone – you know, the people that are ce- celebrating this, I, I think you've got to, you know, recognize one that – you know, this is these are people that you know are impacted by this. Is their lives? These are li- livelihoods. And two, you know, as a fan with your team, you don't you don't want to be in this position. You know, getting rid of a coach who um, who won an MLS Cup two years ago. And I think they do have to look at it and say, you know, look, he's this is. I think Siggy Schmidt is the only other crew coach who has two trophies. Um, uh, so you know, you well, look at it as Steve Sirk, I think pointed out on Twitter today. Both MLS Cup winning coaches for the crew only made the playoffs the year yeah. that they won the cup. And, and, and I think in this case, it's sort of, you know, one of those uh, uh, either, you know, in Siggy's case, you leave a hero or stick around long enough to be the villain. And, and that's kind of what happened, you know, with Caleb. Um, and, I, and I think maybe that, uh, uh, you know, that expiration date came a little bit faster than, than a lot of us were assuming. Um, but but ultimately, you know, it needed to be done. Um, it just it, it, there's just an air of inevitability. Yet yesterday, there's an air of inevitability, you know, throughout throughout this at least last third half of the season. Whenever this team, you know, found themselves late in the game with the lead protecting it, um, you know, trailing, uh, that, that you just knew they weren't going to be able to hold on and close it out. Um, and in the most case. That's what happened. Um, that certainly was the case yesterday. So I think it was just, you know, it, it was a decision that, that needed to be made. I was a little bit surprised it happened this quickly. Um, I was thinking, you know, maybe get through the, you know, later into the week. But but I, I, after they missed the playoffs, I didn't think, you know, and, and when you saw 
Caleb's comments yesterday, you knew it was coming this week. It was just a little bit sooner than we thought it would be. Caleb was here for four years. He made the declaration at his first press conference that he wanted to add trophies to the trophy case. He did that, uh, the MLS Cup, the Campiones Cup, if you count that, which I guess technically it is a trophy in the trophy case. And Lucas's just tiny little shot glass MVP trophy. Uh, He was 45, 43, and 37, assuming my math is correct. That was his record over the last four years. Obviously, there were some, some highs outside of the MLS Cup. You know, you, you bring in players like Lucas Zellerion, Cucho Hernandez. Um, you know, those are players that, that crew fans weren't dreaming about signing before uh, this whole regime took over. And, but you have to look at, at the negatives as well. And, Bart, you touched on some of them here lately. The dropped points this year. Caleb said at the beginning of the season he would bet his house that they were going to make the playoffs. They did not. There was also talk that as soon as they got in his designated player forward, things would turn around. This goal scoring got better, but wasn't ever at the level that I think most people expected. And the, there was still inconsistency there. And, and, you know, we can talk about Cucho Hernandez separately, but it, it, you're right, Bart. I think there was kind of an inevitability. And I was wondering, just because we hadn't dealt with the Haslams in this situation before, you know, would they give Caleb the start of next season? Okay, you've got this whole team back. You know, you, you've got your guys. Brett, you spend a lot of time around this group. Um, you travel with the team for the most part. I guess your reaction to the news and, and kind of your perspective on how things have gone of late. It's the, the crappy side of the business in, in a business that's result-oriented uh, and result-based. Um, and so, you know, it was not necessarily a surprise uh, to, to hear the news from, from my end, but, you know, your thoughts go to mm-hmm. the, for me anyway, goes immediately to the personal side of things and the relationship that I have developed with Caleb Porter, not just like the head soccer coach of, and manager of Columbus Crew, but also Caleb Porter like the guy, right? And sure. the Caleb Porter who at his very core is, you know, a soccer guy. And I think that's something that you know, sometimes we maybe lose track of in, in somewhat of the nuts and bolts kind of uh, way we, we look at all of, you know, this crazy sport and, 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 and the business of it being a profession. Um, so I think about, you know, what his family has had to go through. I, they, they found a, a home here in central Ohio um, after moving quite a bit. His kids um, found a home here and found uh, some, some steadiness, which was really amazing for them. And that all changes in, in a pretty formidable way. And so I think you have to have a, a great deal of, of sympathy for that and empathy for their family, for his family, um, because that's that sucks. Like that's the that's the worst part of the whole job, right? Yeah. And that's that's the the nasty side of it is that whether you like it or not, the business is what have you done for me lately? And in many ways, it's not the Premier League, right? Whereas like you're only as good as your last performance, which the absurdity of that is obviously sure. you know off the charts. But but it is still cutthroat, mm-hmm. and 
Uh, and in many ways, it should be. We're not, you know, we're, it's, you're not playing for, you know, tiddlywinks here, right? Like, there are millions of dollars at, ex- sure. at stake, and mm-hmm. you're talking about history and legacy and all of that. Uh, but for me, you know, it, it was the guy. It's the dude I've shared a handful of, you know, old fashions with and sat at hotel bars across the country and talked about everything but soccer and everything but the Columbus crew. You got him to talk about things besides soccer? I did. And uh, um, I thought he and I had a good relationship. It, 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 let, me, let me, if I'm being honest, it took a little while. Sure. Um, and, I, you know, I think he as a guy is, is um, needs a little bit of time to kind of warm up and trust people. And I think in his position, that's probably fair, um, given what he has to lose for making, say, a wrong call about a relationship, right, with, with you know, whomever it might be, but especially someone kind of in the information business. Um, so that took a while, but when it did, it you know we we found common ground, we found mutual respect, and then I think you saw that play out during our Valley Sports broadcasts, yes. where we you know essentially took what was like one of the toughest interviews in MLS into one of the best, yeah. and if you asked him the right way, you caught him at the right moment in the right tone, he would tell you what he was thinking in a very technical, tactical way, and then you would see some of that tangibly play out during the game and that was amazing um but for me it's i'm sad in in many ways um you know to see him go because that's a guy i i respect a lot and um but it i do i think the you use the word inevitable uh it the minute Kubo Torres' penalty goes in that, that felt fairly inevitable to me and that's too bad but it is a results based business and the results weren't there period point blank these are the consequences wish him the best absolutely uh, he's a guy that I plan to stay in touch with um, and uh, when, when and, I, and I'll finish with this when my wife was diagnosed with cancer a couple of years ago, it'd be two years here in about two weeks, just under two weeks. Doing well now, though. Doing great. Yeah. Um, one of the first people to reach out to me was Caleb. And not in like a, you know, thinking of you, whatever. It was like a very formidable, personal, um, I want you to know that I got your back. We have your back. Whatever you need, I'm here. And he didn't have to do that given what was happening in October of 2020 (laughs) and what was essentially going to happen over the next few weeks um, he didn't have to do that but he checked in on us and and, then that's something that I'll I'll, he he had my had my respect before that in many ways but that was something that I think took it to the next level And, and so he regardless of what you might think of Caleb Porter as the manager he's he's worthy of respect in a lot of ways in many ways and I think one of the other things is just, you know, you can't look at all of this in a vacuum. This, this season doesn't come down and fall squarely at the feet of Caleb Porter. There are a lot of, you know, it should. a lot of issues. Exactly. Yeah. But that's the easiest, simplest decision from a personnel standpoint mm-hmm. to make. But there were free agent signings that did not produce at the level that you wanted to. You know, there were players that were not executing. By the end of the season, you know, you'd see Caleb Porter on the sideline. He wasn't telling guys, hey, park the bus. He's 
telling guys, you know, pushing them up forward, you know, as they're defending those leads. Um, so, there, you know, there was a disconnect, but he's obviously, again, to your point, Brett, it's results-oriented, and he's he is the, the easiest and the first person that you're going to hold accountable to that because you can't get rid of an entire roster. You certainly don't want to. That's a much bigger undertaking. Um, so, so, you know, Caleb, you know, fair or not, ends up being the one, at least that's the first casualty, when, you know, there are a lot of other people that, that the, bl- the blame can be laid at as well. Well, and by the time this podcast comes out, I'll have a story on Massive Report about that specifically because I do think the front office and, and Tim Bezbachenko and, and Issa Tall have to, you know, they're not the ones who are going to, you know, die by the sword here, but there is, there is something to consider there because, mm-hmm. and we don't need to go into all that because we have plenty to talk yeah. about, but as you mentioned, Bart, there have been signings that have just not worked. There have been signings that have worked too, mm-hmm. and Caleb is a big part of that. He's a part of that process, but I will go ahead. I, I think to your point, we do have media availability with Bez tomorrow. Yes, Tuesday. and I think some of those questions are going to come up. Mm-hmm. I mean, and how he how he answers those questions. Why we're probably going to get coach or I guess GM talk here. How he how he responds to those questions is going to be very telling about how not how all this went down because we kind of expect it, but I think that maybe will shed a little bit more light about how much responsibility that front office does yeah. take. I want to go back to what you, what you were talking about, Brett, because I think that's important, and, and we'll get to, you know, the soccer stuff. but and the, Because the soccer stuff is important. Yes, it's also. an important piece and pillar sure. of, of this situation and scenario. Yeah, but I do think because you and I both have had the opportunity to get to know him, unlike most of the listeners, I think it's important to kind of take them inside that. I mean, this is a guy who came back to Ohio. Mm-hmm. I remember talking to him after his first press conference, and he you know, we just introduced each other, intro- gotten introduced to each other, and he's talking about, you know, this isn't on the record, this isn't to anybody, I'm not recording mm-hmm. anything, but just how excited he is to be coaching the crew. And, you know, if, if you don't know Caleb's story, he went to Indiana, they used to drive, him and some of his teammates used to drive to come watch the crew play, you know, when, when they when games didn't conflict and during the summers and things like that, because, A, it was the closest team, but... You know, it, it, there was a connection made with the Caleb. IU connections huge. Yes, yeah. exactly. And you know, I know that when you know he was obviously happy to win with the Timbers, but I know that he would have preferred it to be pretty much every any other team in MLS mm-hmm. that they beat than the Crew on that day. Um, you know, he as as Brett mentioned, you know, my last in person conversation with him because I haven't been around as much once Ohio State football starts. We walked out of the press conference. You were there that day, Brett, and I talked to him for like 20 minutes. And we talked a lot about the team and, and the giving up the goals, but he wanted to know how, you know, covering Ohio State was going and, you know, how things were going at home. He asked about my girlfriend and, and you know, things like that. And so there, there is that side of it, too. And then the passion that he has. I mean, you were, if you were at, and I'm sure people have seen the, the, the clips of it, but at MLS Cup in 2020, Caleb mm-hmm. running down the sidelines afterwards, mm-hmm. you know, what he did to the Cincinnati fans mm-hmm. multiple times down there that, that have you know, created, we talked about this after the Cincinnati game, created him as a villain, yeah. but also a, a hero in crew fans' eyes. Cemented the rivalry. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. And you know, he, he loved this team. I talked to him before the MLS Cup game, and... I remember we're, we're on the phone because I couldn't be on the press conference or the Zoom call that they had, and he 
he said to me after we got done, he's like, he's like, do, do you think the fans understand like the significance of this beyond just MLS Cup? He's like, this team's only been there twice. And he's like, and we're going to effing win tomorrow or whatever it was. And he was like, you know, I just feel like the fans haven't gotten fully on board with, with our group yet. And I was like, well, you know, the 2019 season doesn't go well. And, you know, this season was obviously a weird one. And there's not, you know, fans aren't at the games and everything. But he wanted, he wanted the fans to get behind this team. And, you know, I think it's, you know, I know that the last couple of years, as much as it's pained him as a coach, you know, it's also upset him that, that people haven't been as, you know, mm-hmm. connected to him. I think, honestly, if the fact that Greg was so loved by most fans here, and, you know, obviously it helps that Greg made the playoffs all but one year, and, and they did make an MLS Cup, and then he went to be the national team head coach, but, you know, he, he felt like he eclipsed that and never eclipsed it in people's minds, mm-hmm. a lot of people's minds. And, you know, I can't speak for fans, other fans, but, you know, I, I know that that always seemed to seem to bother him a little bit. Well, I mean, and, and that's the first, and the first thing Caleb did when he, you know, signed is he was out meeting fans up at North High Brewing Co. You know, that, like, I think before maybe, or the afternoon after he did a press conference, he's there meeting with fans. I mean, and that's the thing that, you know, well, you have to give him. You know, he was always willing be, to interact, um, to do anything, you know, and, and then, be candid with fans and sometimes he told them stuff that, that they didn't want to hear and you know sometimes that was stuff that he probably could have uh, uh should have you know just admitted but um he he's he, he doesn't have a filter and that's something that i i as a fan and as someone who you know who's been in sports media as well before appreciate because so much of the time you can probably test this better than anyone brett when you're talking to players when you're talking to coaches it is just nothing but cliches it's scripted they don't want to give you really anything because there's you know those concerned and caleb always seemed like he was open about everything always you know wasn't hiding anything wasn't gonna just bullshit you he 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 told it as it was and that's something he appreciated yeah i think i think for the most part that's true i also think you know when when caleb had a point to make he would make sure he made it right (laughs) regardless regardless of (laughs) what the question might be and i think i know pat you experienced that i don't know if anybody experienced that more tangibly or publicly than i did perhaps Mm but um a number of occasions but the um you know, I, I do I do think in general when it comes to the idea of candor in interviews, you do see a lot more of it amongst um, MLS players at large than you do in other sports. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I think especially um, it, especially like in you know it, it, both the college football and the NFL or whatever it might be. But uh, and I think that's a, there. There are maybe factors for that. You know, these guys aren't necessarily quote unquote like superstars, so they don't necessarily feel like they have the a lot to lose if if some context gets pulled out in a quote. Like they could kind of care less in a lot of ways because I don't necessarily think the I think their safety net is maybe greater, or bigger mm-hmm. than maybe the average like NFL player might be. Um, but I think for for Caleb, Caleb was never. You know, in many ways, like his his like greatest strength, which was essentially like making sure you always knew where he stood, was also at times his biggest weakness. Mm-hmm. Where you know, sometimes 
you know, maybe maybe you didn't need to hammer people over the head like he like he tried to do on a number of occasions because he just felt so passionately about it and maybe maybe someone who um, is is a little bit more tactile in those situations and scenarios endears themselves to people better but that also I think in large part is why Caleb has reached the coaching heights and success that he's that he's achieved is that unrelenting unrelenting unyielding competitiveness that quite frankly not many people have and 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 for me especially if if that rubs you the wrong way that's kind of a you problem and i and i would say to to a large part of kind of crew twitter and crew fandom who were rubbed the wrong way by that because Greg was maybe more adept at that. Mm-hmm. Yes. That's a you problem. That was not Caleb Porter's problem. Well, and I think too with, with Caleb is a lot of times his quotes would get taken out. You know, it would be something that myself or Jacob or Thomas or Bailey recently would tweet out after a game, and then there's not the context necessary. And we were all... And, you know, there were interviews, obviously, with, with you that are on TV, and people can see that, and you can watch the, you know, if people went and... and They're all out there. You can still... <laughs> yeah. Literally every single one is on the internet. But I just think a lot of times, especially and you know, for myself and for Jacob, they we knew Caleb, and so, like, I think we kind of understood what he was saying, whereas sometimes you read the tweet, and you're like, yeah, why sure. is he saying this, you know? And, and Caleb could have been better about some things he said, but... Yeah, like, I, make no mistake, there are mistakes that he made along the way sure, in those sure, situations sure. and scenarios. There are a handful of them. I, the, to, to me, the biggest one of all was his comments about Jeff, the fans yeah, after the yeah. FC Cincy game, after the, you know, however many thousands of fans traveled for that mm-hmm. game. The game ends at the high of all highs that you could possibly hope for. And the press conference, he's swinging a hammer, which I felt was a little unnecessary. I do think the bottle throwing and all of that maybe factored a little bit into how he felt. Um, which again is important context to what he was maybe feeling going yeah. into that press conference, um, but I mean, yeah, their mistakes were made, and I think, and I think he would will if he were sitting here today, he would be willing to admit that as well. That yeah, he he, he there were missteps along the way, mm-hmm. uh, but but in large part, if you ask Caleb Porter where he stood, he would tell you a hundred percent of the time, and that's I, all you can ask for in many ways. I I. Even though I didn't do press conferences very often, whether it's post-game or during the week. Um, but I've always enjoyed how candid he was yeah. in his responses. It wasn't your, your canned stuff. and that. But again, to me, and I've talked with Caleb a lot, maybe not as extensively as you and Murph, but uh, even as a photographer, one time, like at the beginning when he first came on, you could tell that he's trying, he was trying to be different than when he was in Portland. Mm-hmm. And, that was, and that was really big, and I think he maybe went at it a little too hard, you know, mm-hmm. and, and that probably didn't help because it was not his natural personality. Sure. But in the great scheme of things, when I, as a photographer, and he knows that, even though I fill in occasionally, I have a photographer ask him a question, and he gives this, like you said, this very detailed, very tactical answer that could take 15 minutes, depending on how, right. how much time he has. Um, that's, that's, to me, that's cool. That's yeah. that's and that's impressive. Also, that a head coach um, once is willing to do that to even somebody who's not a full-time reporter. Well, and even after press conferences, his willingness to stand around and talk. You know, not all coaches yes. 
do that. Mm-hmm. You know, I know Jacob Myers would tell you, you know, the, the way that he worked with Jacob when he first got here because Jacob was not a soccer guy to, to kind of help teach him the game. Um, I know Jacob really appreciated it at the time. You know, it's there are things, you know, you, you, you see one side of Caleb a lot after games, especially when things don't go well. And there is another side. The guy's a family man. He's got a wife. He's got kids. Um, you know, if you follow the Porter family Instagram account, there's pictures of them that, you know, you kind of, you know, in the summer or in the off season and things like that, that you're like, is that the same guy who's yeah. mad on the sidelines? All, you know, like he's having fun with the tattoo family. sleeves and yeah, everything. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, there is, there is that side of it. And I think that's important. I'm glad you brought that up, Brett, because, you know, I, I do think most people didn't get to see that. Um, but we have to also talk about what happened on the field. And three out of four years, this team doesn't make the playoffs. You know, you, you can say the first year that there were issues with the roster construction in 2020 or 2021. Excuse me, there were injuries, and, and this year, you know, I don't I don't know what you put the excuse on because you you did get your guy. Now, I do think it's important to point out the crew lost what six games this year, which is the second fewest in MLS. The draws were the issue. Was that mm-hmm. seven? Maybe it's Did eight. Eight, eight, yeah, eight. eight. Well, fine. So if you're going to start talking, <laughs> Jordan Angeli stopped by. I was going to introduce you uh, in a second. You, you know Jordan if you know Brett uh, because they do if, the broadcast. If you were here. listening to this podcast and you don't recognize Jordan or Brett, I, you're, you're consuming the wrong Look, crew content. my grandparents occasionally <laughs> tune in just to hear... What are their names? What are your grandparents' names? They don't actually oh. tune in. So. <laughs> I'm just going to say hi to them. Introduce uh, myself. <laughs> all right, Jordan. You watch every minute of every game calling this. What, in your eyes, went wrong from a Caleb perspective that, that made that this had to happen today? It's hard to say from one person's perspective because I – I'm very much of a team mindset, and that is always where I'm going to default to because at the end of the day, there's been 11 to 15 to 16 people who have made their case every single week. And what's difficult is knowing how good this team is. You guys just talked about the talent of this team and that there wasn't the – they never figured out a way – to get the most out of the talent. And I think some of that is on, there's a lot of people that you can talk about, you know, that as a former player, I would have looked at myself first. And I think a lot of players are looking at themselves, like how could I have been a better player on this team to be able to get the most out of me and my teammates? Uh, So I think first and foremost, that's probably a lot of the reflection that has happened. But this has been an interesting season just with the number of draws. They almost draw, drew half their games. They end up with their only their eighth loss on Sunday. And I remember speaking on a broadcast, I don't know when it was, Brett, maybe August, end of July, when the, the ties really started to tally up. And I was talking to Neil about the ascension of this team and bringing Cucho in and how they really needed to take off. And that last year they lost they, they lost out on playoffs by a point. And I felt like this year it was going to be they lost out of playoffs on a win. And unfortunately that was the case. It, 
They get it was one a Chicago win. game at home, the 0-0 Chicago game. It was, it was one win yeah. in the last couple of months, and that could have been the difference. And it is difficult because, yes, being a team that's hard to beat is good, but sometimes losses allow you to then get wins. And it, it felt like this team could have dealt with a couple of more losses in order to get a few more wins. I mean, I still I don't have the you know MLS record books, but I I sure think that there are too many teams that have missed the playoffs on so few losses. Um, you know, at least in, in in the recent years since they expanded the playoffs. But again, your point: you tie half your games, it's just not going to take care of it. You also don't too, see too many ten-win teams make the playoffs. Well, yeah, and I, I think the biggest thing, and this has been thrown around on social media for at least a month now is is the points dropped and you know I, I don't know what the number ended up being just one of those Montreal games man. yeah yeah I mean that's you know that's the difference I mean you can point to a lot of the games I mean even going back to the start of the season in San Jose and you know that was a team that had just won 4-0 and was dominating that game and after the, in post game Neil said in the San Jose game I hope this doesn't come back to haunt them well and I saw somebody. Which I think we were here. Is wild. I, I saw somebody post this on social media today, but you know how much does that affect the rest of the season? You Maybe know, you, mentally, that could be the start of what was clearly a mental problem. I mean, you know, giving up those leads doesn't happen without a mental thing. I, I just struggle to, I struggle to find a way that this would have worked going forward I've talked to a couple of guys that are in that locker room that you know we're, we're ready for uh, for Caleb to move on and you know each guy's opinions their own but those guys are there every day and you know sometimes you just need a new voice in the room Brett and Bart I'll, I'll let you guys discuss this but you know would there have been any merit in your guys minds and Brett obviously from your analyst perspective and Bart you're from the from the more fan side of things to keeping Caleb to start next season and letting him try and run it with whatever you do this offseason, plus you get Cucho and Lucas for a whole offseason and you, you go into the season with your attack that you've talked about, or did the fact that you not get it done this year, was, was that too big of an indictment in your minds? I'm kind of of the opinion that a clean break is probably best for everyone. Uh, and... and to essentially say, okay, 2023 win or else, win early or else, is probably not super healthy for everybody involved. Um, especially, I think, given the way 2021 with the summer and the losing streak uh, and how that kind of carried into getting guys back healthy in the fall and everything looked pretty good and then we stopped. Right, and the game, the season's over. You come up short, and and the the, the somewhat deja vu type uh, feeling that we had with how everything ended again this year. I don't see it in anybody in in any party's best interest to essentially give, um, you know, Caleb Porter the shortest leash he has probably ever had. Um, in a new season, I don't think anybody plays well with a guillotine over their head. Or a coach as well with a guillotine over their head. I mean, look, look at the look at the Browns when that's kind of happened, right? And how and how poorly those Cleveland Browns teams performed 
when everyone knew that the coach was essentially on the chopping block mm -hmm. at the first opportunity to, to do so. Um, so, you know, I, I think definitely a clean break is probably what was best for everyone. And I think when you when you know when you're thinking about rebuilding this team or, or you know reset whatever we want to call it reload, um, it's just yeah having that short leash. You got to think of what do you do? How are you replacing him? Right? Are you you suddenly you know the market for available coaches is going to be much thinner um, at the beginning of the you know next regular season? You do have you know the luxury of a guy like Laurent Cotois, but I don't think that he's like necessarily ready to jump up there um, and, and make that jump there I know you've seen things you know sometimes in the past I've seen it you know at the NHL level especially where they'll bring in a guy who's had some experience as like an associate head coach but that's you know that's really awkward and I think it's difficult for, you know, a head coach to really command that when you've got literally your replacement and waiting over your shoulder. That's a really difficult dynamic to manage. So I think, yeah, you needed to do the clean break here um, because otherwise you just you need to position yourself as well. And if you don't think that Caleb is the guy, you, you, you've got to, you know, is, is getting two or three wins, you know, in April – gonna change that really or or, or does that I, I don't think that really changes it he's the guy here he isn't the guy and I think you've got a good feeling for that after four seasons and and three of those seasons they did not make the playoffs and one of those seasons they won the cup it also happened to be the flukiest season ever it's not that is not Caleb's fault every other team was dealing with those exact same conditions and Caleb and this team brought it together and they won the whole damn thing but it was a shortened season. It was a season where, you know, they didn't ever win a game on the road except for one of those games, you know, those games down in Orlando. And everything ended up working well for them in the playoffs to be able to host that home game. And they took care of business. Yeah. And they took the hell care of business. But it's still hard to look at that, you know, that, that's not like, I don't, I'm not trying to put an asterisk on it because it's a trophy. Sure. Mm -hmm. But it's not a regular season. The hardest thing for me with, that season and looking at this season is okay the crew were excellent at home mm -hmm. they lost one game one at home game, in 2020 yeah. if the crew lost one game at home in 2022 <laughs> to, to Montreal, right? yes to Montreal, <laughs> ironically if they lost one game at home this year regardless of the long season or the short mm -hmm. season or even if they met that the same place it was where they got 10 wins at yeah. home <laughs> This, this is a different, we're talking completely mm -hmm. different about all of the, these things. And that's the biggest thing about this team that I think I've really struggled with is how can you be one of the best defensive teams in the league? You've lost the fewest games. you top four in goals against. And yet you are the worst team when it comes to closing out a game. In defensively. League history. In league history. Mm -hmm. It is such a juxtaposition of... Like, my brain does not have the ability to And comprehend. I want to add the consistency in which that has happened. Like, <laughs> cons like clockwork. You're like, 85 minute, it's going to drop. Any minute, and oh, there it is. Mm -hmm. And it's there's no Often time to recover. In the 85th minute, exactly. Really this last yeah. one was right at the 86th. Sorry. Yeah, I mean, and I mentioned earlier that conversation I had with Caleb, and I asked him about it, and he was very candid about, look, when you get... When you build a mentality as a team, good or bad, that mentality is hard to get out of. Mm. You know, when you're a team that 
wins games late or comes from behind or you know whatever whatever trend you set it, you know players believe or don't believe based on past results and when when they become consistent and you know I don't know what what point in this season and you know, we talked about the San Jose game that it became this team is not good at holding on to leads I mean early on in the year they were grinding out 0-0-1-1 results but you know it clearly became a major issue late which is weird because if you look back at Caleb's track record and I haven't watched every game of his when he was in Portland but I I think this stands I think his teams were usually pretty good late those those Portland teams stepped on people's throats right especially the the MLS Cup team they they didn't give you an inch and I think that's the to me that's the the biggest um kind of like a gap uh connection gap that this team had in terms of what it needed to do and what it, it failed to do and you can have all the leads you want and then you could drop all the leads you possibly can but when you have opportunities to go three zero up four zero up three one up four one up and for the most part, they failed to take that period point blank across the board with the lone exception of the Vancouver game. And Vancouver was bad. That was the season opener in 2022. When you fail to do that, that's like a little bit of water in the crack, right? And a little bit more water every time that happens. And, I, and so I think when the confidence wanes at the attacking end in terms of putting games away it really falters in the defensive end. And so you saw that when, and at times I think you could, you, it's fair to say the crew were unlucky running into really hot goalkeepers who kept the third and fourth goals out or like in the Chicago game, for example, Slania keeping Cucho out point blank um, probably, what, twice? And, and making, I think, nine saves in, in that game. And uh, extra beer on the podcast. Yeah, there's uh, yeah, free Thank beer. You. Um, or just in this, in uh, you know, in the in the Charlotte game, right? Uh, just a, just a couple weeks or a couple days ago, they had opportunities to make that game three zero or three one four one, and there were saves. Right. And so, and that wasn't the case of ridiculous saves. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, Cucho could do better. Luis could do better. That wasn't a goalkeeper standing on his head. Right. And so when, 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 and I think we all know this, but I think it played out in a very tangible way this year. The margins of this game are so slim, mm-hmm. right? And we're talking about a team that, like, they make, like, four or five plays. If they make, like, literally four or five plays in four or five games, we're talking about a team that's probably third mm-hmm. in the mm-hmm. Eastern Conference, oh, yeah. if not second. I don't remember the exact stats. I wrote it down before the game yesterday because I thought this was – I've talked about this a lot with our broadcast team. I don't know if I've mentioned it on on the broadcast itself, but I'm a firm believer that if you score two goals in this league, you're going to win a lot of games. You're not going to win all the games, but you're going to win a a lot more games than you lose. And I think the crew won four games where they scored two goals and they drew seven games. And that is just kind of a little bit of like a anomaly, anomaly. Like I don't think that happens a lot. Granted, there's more goals this year I think than there's ever been in MLS ever. 
there, there was a lot of... Thank you, Philadelphia. Thank you, Philadelphia yeah. and uh, FC people downstairs. <laughs> yeah. um, FC people downstairs. I like yeah. that. We're going to have to use them. So there were a lot more goals this year, but that was a thing to me. Like, if you score two goals, you have to be pretty confident yeah, that right. you're going to win games. Mm-hmm. Just that is a trend in this game, and to not get more wins out of a two-goal game, to have a lot of those be... Seven of them to be two two draws. I think it was seven. Right. That, right. That's a, that is wild. And usually we're from a two nothing position. Yeah, yeah. Not even mm-hmm. like a two one or a, or yeah. a one nothing. There, there. I, I'd be fast when this is all seasons all said and done. I, I some of the the analytics folks um, across the league I think are going to have their hands full in mm-hmm. terms of updating models for uh, the inputs that they have for say like twenty twenty three. XG and XG against mm-hmm. the the volatility that we experienced in terms of actual goals relative to the chances created this year has been outrageous, outrageous. There are several teams across the league. The biggest one is Austin. The chances that they have created, the quality of chances they have created relative to the goals that they have scored, they're like five x what they should be at in terms of actually putting the ball in the back of the net. Everything has gone in for them this year. Yeah. The exact opposite of that in many ways is Montreal. Montreal defensively has been unbelievable in terms of limiting opponents' chances, but everything for them, for the most part, has gone in. Montreal in, it should be kind of like a runaway first-place team this year if they trend towards the mean in X goals against. didn't happen for them, but if you think about like the, 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 the goals that – the Crew scored against Montreal this year. Mm-hmm. You have an outrageous volley mm-hmm. from Cucho. You get a, a, a quirky dead ball play where they the, the crew cycles the ball Don't around. Don't call that quirky. That was amazing. It was amazing and quirky. <laughs> uh, but it was it was a gadget play that they were unprepared for, and the crew knew they had something special with that because they were locked in on it in training all week long. Like, those goals don't go in normally, right, right. In, in a normal game of soccer, but they did for the crew in that one. And they had other chances. So it, the volatility is going to be fascinating when we look back at this season because I think in large part, I don't think we're going to see that ever again. Uh, at least not all at the same time. Right, yeah. or, or to, to the degree in which instead of it being like 10x like we had this, this year, it'll be like two and be turned down a little bit. I think it was interesting to see some of the things that the crew pulled off throughout the season that you're like, for example, the New York game, the last win of said 2022 mm-hmm. RIP season. Cincinnati and Cincinnati. No, no, but I mean like just the way. So I, I, I keep hitting my silverware here. I know. Murph hit his laptop. I'm hitting silverware. Uh, I almost took silver. out a display of saucy brew yeah, versus drinkware. I mean, we're on a roll here, but no, nothing is bad. I always equate this to kind of a, a hockey analogy of the tape-to-tape passing. And in the beginning of the season, almost for like the first five or six games, the, the passings were too hard or they're too up front or too... And then they play in New York. They play in New York here. And it's like, wow. You're like getting out of really tight pressing that you have not been able to get out of the entire year. And all of a sudden, in game 31, you figured out how to play together as a team like, and actually like have the proper touch to get it from one player to the other. And then, obviously, come back late and score, which, which I think inspired hope in all of us, mm-hmm. though brief and I thought they flipped the script. Yeah. They did. Yeah. They absolutely And Red Bulls got tired, too, which is also and, a factor. Yeah. But then you see how things went in Charlotte, and you're like, I mean, Lucas scores that amazing goal from 
downtown, yeah. and you're like, okay, this is going to be really good. And then they score. And Luis Diaz, who doesn't score, scores. And you're like, all right, we're on a roll. And then they do the same thing they do every night, Binky. And they... But that, that's the point. There's just like, never this sort of killer instinct, this ability to put teams away, to step on their throat. You just didn't see that from this team. It wasn't necessarily from lack of effort, but certainly from lack of execution. But this is what leads me to this question, which is which is to Jordan and Brett, because you actually see the game from two very different mm-hmm. perspectives. Brett, you're on the field. You see at a little bit different level. Jordan, you're Jordan. I can't even talk anymore. You're in the press box. You're, you're seeing at a very different <laughs> level on what the field looks like. Was there a what what? What do you feel tactically was causing these late collapses? If any. Yeah. Go ahead, Brett. Dropping too deep. Defending too far in Aloy rooms. Essentially, too many numbers in Aloy's box. But do you think... Like where you can't see. So, I, I, let, me, let me preface this with what I've said numerous times over the last few, few years. I know nothing about goalkeeping. Mm-hmm. Okay? I know nothing about goalkeeping. You're supposed to keep the ball out of the goal. Yes. Yeah. Okay? And you can use You're your allowed hands. to touch it with your hands. Yeah, you can use general. your hands for sure. You now know two things. <laughs> okay, so the... They wear different color shirts. They do, and more often than not, the colors are bomb, by the way. Yes. <laughs> the crew Absolutely. goalkeepers... Let's that have more of those in full team but, jerseys, less just in one person on the field. But yes. Evan Bush and I have talked about those, the jerseys at, at numerous points this year, and they are bomb.com. They, they knock those out of the park. Aloy always seemed to be, for me, a, uh, a line-of-sight keeper. And, and always kind of liked the, the clean ice, so to speak, to, 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 to go along with your hockey analogy. And I think they, there, were, there were two things that I think were a factor in, in some of the issues uh, in, in, defend, in defending in those final moments. There were just too many people in front of them. And I think they had too many numbers centrally. And, and so that's why you saw so many of those late goals essentially come from throwing the ball at the net in, you know, just beyond the box um, centrally. And he's really struggled with that because of the ping pong nature that, and the chaos that those type of shots can, can create. But uh, the other tactical thing for me is it's not really a tactical thing, but it was a... It's a mentality thing. There were, at at several different key moments where aggression was needed to win a ball in the air, and I think the perfect example of that is the first collapse of the year at San Jose, where those were not necessarily dynamic balls in the box. That Calvo goes up, and essentially, like, I'm bigger, faster, harder, stronger than you are, and I'm going to win this one-on-one matchup, and he did both times. There were several key moments this season where essentially you had to meet strength with strength in the air, and they failed to do that, or caught ball watching in that moment rather than just pure athleticism or aggression. And so, and I think there's, there are factors with that, and I think that a lot of bodies being in the box affects that. You know as well as anyone, Jordan, when you complicate the six, it's, it's hard, much harder for defenders than it is attackers. Yeah. Um, and, and that's one of the reasons why I think we saw the crew, you know, go from man marking to kind of half and half uh, about halfway through this season uh, when they defended corners and other dead ball situations. But in large part, it was the it was the the dropping of the numbers centrally that really handicapped and affected Aloy Room's ability to do what he does best, which is reaction saves. 
line of sight reaction says high leverage chances that that he has succeeded on a number of occasions since he's been in a crew uniform and 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 it, essentially they got in the way of that at times and i think that was that was to me the most glaring example of of a very obvious problem that i don't know if there's a quick fix to it because i think when you would just invite pressure it just happens but i, I think it was something that that they needed to address in a more fundamental way and they just were never able to. Do you think that dropping deep was a Caleb thing? I mean, as Bart said earlier, at times you could see him on the sidelines wanting guys to push up later in games. I mean, he and probably it, blew out an eardrum for you <laughs> in that case. Obviously, you know, you I mean, you go to that Montreal game in Montreal, you make defensive substitutions when you're down a man. But they also brought on Eric Hurtado to try and, you know, be able to play long I mean, do you, do you think this was a tactical thing from Caleb, or do you think that just became, because they're, it's in their heads, they, you know, they drop deep? I think drop. it was because they couldn't keep... The, the dropping deep comes in large part because you can't keep the ball. And, and, and how they sometimes struggled late in games to hold on to it. And for whatever reason that might be, um, I think late in games they really struggled with second balls. They really struggled with with uh, friendly restarts, especially goal kicks. How many times did we see the ball get kicked out of bounds yeah. in the last yeah, yeah. five minutes yeah. with a quick restart and you're right back facing pressure when maybe 35, 45 seconds tick off if you kick the ball in bounds? Mm-hmm. Um, but I, the it's a combination of... Or it gets headed straight back down your throat. Yes, mm-hmm. right. It, so, so what do you want? Like... I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't say kicking the ball out of bounds is always the wrong decision. Right. In when you're trying to kill off a game, there, for me, it is there. There was there is a feel and a knowledge and a repetition to killing games off, and you have to know the right things to do in those situations to invite pressure when you have the ball at your feet, to be able to clear pressure, to win the second, first and second balls, then to have the ball, to invite pressure, and to be able to get beyond that line of defense and turn a defense around. They lacked that, turn a defense around. They lacked the, you know, the feel of, there is everyone running at me. I am going to be either, you know, this is a time for me to just say, okay, foul me. I'm going to try to dribble out, out of this and, like, commit, have someone foul me. Or where's my support around me if people are coming and we can pass out of this situation? So when you are so deep, then the support can't be around the outlet ball. It was, it's almost like that feel, there, there is really a feeling that you get when you are reminded and train and work through those situations. And I think it was addressed. It just was too late. Too late. I, I one and we can get to this a little bit when we start maybe peeling a couple layers off of some of the tactics uh, layered in the show. One thing that I think the crew struggled with. Go ahead. In, like how long peel. Are the, yeah. yeah, might as well peel now. Yeah, they, I, mean, I mean, yeah, it's the end well, of the season. I, We're I, going long. I've been I, crying for a while and peeling more onion isn't Eventually, eventually, we should talk about something happy like you know, crew two winning a championship. But we'll we, get there. We will. Uh, That's so fun. They sometimes struggle connecting D mid to. The, the forward line, okay? And I, if you, if you want a, a fun exercise in the offseason, it might be a bit of a glutton for punishment thing, but go back and watch games and notice how many yards so oftentimes when the crew have a ball, have the ball and they're inviting press, right? Inviting press from an opponent. 
how often the ball ends up centrally, say, in their own third, and there's 40, 50 yards between Darlington Nagby, Aiden Morris, Artur, and the next line centrally, either Lucas, Cucho, Miguel Berry, early on, Hurtado, whoever it might be. And so they were never able to break that press centrally a lot. And so it had to cycle back out wide to the outside backs because there just wasn't anybody there close enough to make essentially like a safe or like comfortable Which then there should pass. be a tactic. Okay, if it goes outside back, our forward, our forward is responsible for 40 yards in the yes. middle of the field. And we know that the outlet ball is going to the forward and then the Lucas is going to be underneath him for the second ball. Yeah. There needs to be some kind of outlet tactic yeah and and so i think that that we saw a number of times and i think it's it 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 is a little bit of a symptom of darlington nagby's brilliance in large part in those inviting pressure moments to be able to do something special half turn and you're out the other side Mm -hmm. uh where maybe you don't help him as much because in training homeboy doesn't need it right and so there's a gap there. But, like, it doesn't it, – it, it, it just doesn't work all the time. And so I think that was maybe something that didn't get, didn't get repped enough or didn't get trained enough because it was not as glaring of an issue on a day-in and day-out basis. It only was in games. Did this team ever run it to the flag and kill off times at any point in the season? Eric Hurtado tried in Montreal, yeah. but he lost the ball. Yeah, and I think – I mean, and again, that's correct. They, they never you know, had it. They couldn't get those outlet passes to get it to a forward or anybody in an attacking position to go in there and kill off the time. But, I, I mean, I, I was just, like, for the amount of leads that this team, you know, gave up throughout the season, just to never see some of those basic things that you're used to, you know, as fans might not be as tactically adept. To what, that's, that's how you kill off a game. To what Brett said, though, they they stayed too far yeah. deep into Eloy's he's on box, the and then you know. when they did get the ball or when they did intercept the ball, they they tried to ice it by kicking it forward. And this is not hockey, so that's mm-hmm. not how that worked. Um, and and they didn't really hold possession in any way or form in order to get to that corner flag and hold the ball there. At its very core, I think that the biggest issue is it, it just it got in their heads. Jordan yes. used the word "yip" yep. earlier. It, it it went from an issue to a trend, to a feature, mm-hmm. it relatively fast. And at that point, once it snowballs, it's, you, it's out of control, and I don't think there was a whole lot they could do. Yeah. And that's to, you know, to, to Smurf's question earlier, too, about I, I don't think that you know, maybe that can get solved in an offseason, but I think that that's where ultimately that, that's why you've got to have that clean Almost break. You've got to have something – cleanse this to get that bad juju out of there you know unless we have jobu and we can you know sacrifice some chicken and, and smoke some cigars with them then you got to get the, the the manager out of there let me ask you guys this where does the crew go from here and i don't i don't need you to come up with names obviously but what are you looking for sam and i were talking beforehand because all right there's decisions that need to be made on players, options, and things like that that have to happen soon. They're likely not to hire a manager right away. They're going to do a search. Um, so do you make these decisions based on, okay, we have this roster in place, this style of play. We'd like to find a manager that plays a similar way to what Caleb and, and even Greg before him have played with this team. 
or are you looking for something completely different? I mean, you know, if, if you're Tim Bezbachenko in the group making the decision he's here, what are you kind of looking for in a coach? Jordan, I'll, I'll ask you first. What, thinking. You know? I, it's hard because it's so fresh, right? It's, it's fresh and I, you know, my, a lot has happened in the last 24 hours and, you know, as much as, felt like it you know for the club it was time to move on from Caleb like Caleb was nothing but great to me and a lot of conversations that I had with him for a lot of time so well, we've already heaped praise upon him as, it's, as a guy it's hard for me team. it's hard for me uh you know I'm just a it's hard to a move human on. who has a lot of feelings right like I, and um yeah, yeah and I I think it's, it's just, hard to say goodbye to yesterday it is hard to say goodbye to yesterday <laughs> We wish we could live yesterday over again, I'm sure. But the there are so many good pieces to this team, and I think this team has shown this year in particular with what Caleb has done is they can be flexible and they can play in a lot of different formations. And I think about and credit to Caleb because they could not do that last year. Yes, yes. And that was something he made a and I don't mean to interrupt you there, Jordan, but that was something he made a f- emphasis this off season, and he yeah. talked about a lot early in the year was having different, not only different formations, but different ways to play, which are different things. And especially early in the year, they really did that. And, yeah. You know, if and I don't see why you couldn't. If you if you have a couple of players in the midfield, like, that can cover defensive space, just off the top of my head, I'm thinking of Zawatsky and I'm thinking of Morris, why couldn't you play a 3-4-3 three, three, or a 3-5 or a 3, yeah, a 3-4-2-1? With Lucas underneath, Cucho, you have two players up front, you know, just mixing it up because you do have really three good center backs who are good on the ball, building out, can give you stability. And I don't think there's a lot of teams in this league that have three center backs of the quality that the crew have. And I know that there's talk about their how old they are, but they're not they're not giving up goals, you guys. We we were one of the best teams defensively. So there there's that I think a lot of the pieces stay. I don't know what I want to see this how I wanna see this team play. But I can tell you that this team feels like there's unfinished business. Mm-hmm. I think that's how they feel right now. There's unfinished business. And this group of players, if you would have said, here's the two groups that won MLS Cup, which one did? I would have never guessed the 2020 team. I would have guessed the 2022 team. So I don't know, yeah, that you'd want to add some pieces. But there's a lot of quality on this roster. And I think it's going to be interesting to see what the style of play is. You're not going to totally abandon this progressive possession, but you're going to want a little more dynamic. Well, and is it? So I've talked with friends. Does that answer your question? A little bit. And I've talked (laughs) with friends of mine about this that really dig into tactics and and things like that. And especially in a league like MLS, you don't need possession to win anymore. Mm -hmm. Like that became really popular for a while you know, the, the, you you know you dominate the ball, and, and obviously it can work. You look at a team like LAFC, and they have the talent to do that, and the crew probably do too. But the crew also have guys, you know, as the roster is currently constructed, you could be much more of a counterattacking team if you wanted to be. You know, with with some of the some of the speed they have on the wings, especially if you got a little bit younger at fullback, specifically the left back position, and now you've got the guys up top. You know. I don't know if that really works well with Darlington Nagby in the midfield, but you, you have some guys that can do something. I just 
I think there's options here. I just don't know what you want to do if you're the crew because they've been a possession team for so long, and it has worked at times. And, and, and I mean, for seasons, not just I for... I think the best teams in MLS right now are not one thing. Yeah. yeah. I think that's fair. I They're not that. one thing. They are all the thing. You know, they can be... They can dominate you in possession and score goals. They can break down a low block. They can sit in and counterattack. They can do a mixture of things. They can show you different formations. And this team has all the like you were just saying the ability to do all those things. So who can bring all those things together and be able to pick a game and say, all right, you're playing against this opponent. This is how we're gonna set up with the emphasis on this part of our game. This week is the emphasis on this part of our game. Yeah, because because the window's still open for this team right now. I yeah, especially I, if you do get a little younger. Yeah, yeah, and and I, and I think that. You know, I think it would be a little bit more in question had they not brought in a guy like Cucho Hernandez, who's 23 years old, yeah. still has his best years in front of him. You know, if they if they brought in a you know 29, 30 year old Premier League striker who who can take care of it, you know that that's something different. But you've still got a very strong core with this. A lot of guys that are in their prime. That again, you're you're going to be able to get. Lucas Zellerand's best season out of him next year, just having the by virtue of having Cucho Hernandez with him for 34 games. Um, so I, I, I think I think even you know even with a guy like Darlington who you know might be past his prime, I think he can still there produce. I think there's so much that he adds to you that's the in, mm-hmm. an intangible you know for a guy like Aiden Morris to grow with and then you look at the, the guys that you can have back up and you know hopefully push and maybe displace him you know down the road in a season um, uh, I, th- I think you've got too much and that's where it's going to be I think kind of difficult because I think in a lot of times with, with, with a head coach you're going to come in and say hey look I'm not going to have a really you know I how many uh, head, head you know managers are there that have won uh, MLS Cups with their two MLS stops. Um, you know, that that's Caleb Porter and that, that, that class, and, and, and Siggy Schmidt maybe? Uh, I, I don't think there are too many of he them. He did not win with no. Seattle. Oh, yeah, you're right. He didn't win with the Seattle. Um, uh, so if, if, you're, if you're a coach coming in there, it's, it's one, you know, are you a guy that can do it with players? And I think you're looking for a kind of player coach like a Greg Berhalter. Yeah. Um, who, who gets gets around with those, but who's also willing to be a little bit more flexible, um, because if you're crew management, look, you don't, and you, you want somebody that's not going to ask for an entire overhaul because this roster is pretty set, and you don't have the luxury of being able to do rebuild. You've got resources with Haslam's, but you don't have the resources to try to do rebuild, and you don't have a fan base right now that is is willing to countenance a rebuild after missing the playoffs three out of the last four seasons, including the last two underperforming. Let me ask this in, in the same vein. So when the Haslam's purchased the crew, I would not have been able I would not have told you that I thought they would be able to sign not only a guy like Lucas Zellerayan at the time that they did, but also then go sign a guy like Cucho Hernandez at this point in his career. Well. Right, right. Be able to but make. I just didn't see, you know, it never happened before. Yeah. So if, if you are now making this hire, you know, traditionally it's been guys that you haven't really heard of that have been the crew. Ziggy Schmidt was the lone exception of a, you know, well, MLS. We've all heard of Robert Warzyha. Well, that wasn't, a, that wasn't, I don't even count that as a hire. Um, but I just mean, like, if, do they go make a splash? Do you go get a name? a guy that has proven it maybe beyond MLS. You know, I mean, I saw a lot of names being thrown out today, probably in jest, but, like, 
could you go get some guy that isn't, you know, an, an MLS guy or a, a guy who's, you know, even a, even a Mexican, you know, the coach in Liga MX. You can or, say or names. Like you mean you can say names? Well, I mean, like, do you go hire Mauricio Pochettino? Like, do you do you do? No, I'm, I, <laughs> I don't think that's really Scott. But I think that we don't want that bring Tottenham a defensive here. coach. Yeah. <laughs> the, the the surprise. The surprising I was, way that I was surprised that Twitter crew Twitter did not bring up bringing Guillermo. Oh, <laughs> like, it was yeah, it was I didn't there. see very much oh, of it. it much not nearly as Look, much as the last. There, time. there are a few things I, I think we should cut off right now. One, they're not hiring Guillermo. Two, Lauren Courtois is going to stay with yeah. Crew Two because he is a guy who works with young players mm. and is not ready to be the head coach of the Columbus Crew because, as we've mentioned, this is a win now type of team. They're in that window. They they aren't looking to develop. Three, even if Greg Berhalter gets fired after the World <laughs> Cup, I don't imagine he's coming back to Columbus. That would tell me right now which te- teams that made a splash for coaching outside of league have been successful. Charlotte wasn't successful. Miami wasn't successful. I agree. DC yeah. wasn't successful. Chicago wasn't Wayne successful. Atlanta is it? Maybe. Give Wayne Rooney. Tata. Yeah. That was Tata, but yeah, he, exactly. he had Miguel Almarone yeah, and Joseph exactly. Martinez <laughs> at the prime of their prime. Well, and, well and, but you got Lucas Zellerone and Cucho Hernandez right now. So I want to, I want to circle also back. Also had a lot more Latin yeah, yeah, players yeah. Oh, that yeah. like, you know, um, center back. I can't think of his name. Escobar. They had. Um, the team was that loaded. team was mm. freaking loaded, yeah. and I'm this crew team is great, but I think. It'll be interesting, and I don't, I don't know. I don't know how, where you go from here. It's going to be a tough... So I'd like to circle back to something that Bart mentioned a few minutes ago that I think is important in the overall context of this conversation. <laughs> Thank Do you, know you what the, for that PBS intro to your is, next is, thought. You're, you're listening. That's right. I said something important, guys. All, this is all, that thing, is the first time all things said considered. <laughs> uh, uh, Do you know what the easiest thing to do in the entire world is? Talk tweet. about soccer. Tweet. No. Spend Post, someone yeah. else's money. Yeah. I don't know. Fair. I can think of some things. That the are easiest easier, thing to do in the entire world is spend someone else's money. And so I think that Give is. Give me your credit card. Let me try. Exactly. The, and that is so crucial when we're talking about the next step in this Columbus kind of crew era. Because I do think with the purchase and signing of Lucas Eleron and Cucho Hernandez, we have kind of ushered, in many ways, been forced headlong into this new era of mega buy soccer, right? Mega player in prime of their in the prime of their careers, crew soccer, which in large part I think five years ago, maybe. Didn't think it was possible, but kind of no. hoped it was. Yeah. Ten years ago, that was alien technology. Yep. Or even an MLS. I mean, aside from the Galaxy. Right. Yeah. You know, there were, there were two teams. Those were, all, those were never guys in their prime. Right? Yeah. So when we talk about who the coach is, and you want to go spend $5 million on some random guy who comes in, who probably doesn't know the league. How, ask FC Cincinnati how bringing in a big name over the course of I their tenure. Six other teams. Ask, ask Charlotte, right? Who'd they bring in? A journeyman MLS player as their head coach and a, I would, I would say, way above average MLS player as their GM, but I'm partial to Chris. And look at what they did in literally a season. 
Josh Wolf in Austin? Josh is another I was that, that he was my thought. Like, can we, set. can I put him on my list? I think that will. I think <laughs> no chance, yeah. by the way. But um, would be great. Would love to have him. No I, chance. I, I honestly wanted him in 19. So there were a lot of people who did. I, I, I really believe that. In fact, I think in large part, that was a, it was a coin flip in yeah. terms of two candidates, and, and Caleb got the job. Oh, and, and Caleb but, had the pedigree. But. When it comes to the next guy, I, I'm of the opinion, and I've said this before, so forgive me if, I, if I'm kind of reiterating it. In large part across the league, you can lump MLS coaches into one of two boxes. You either are the tactical guy. I have a system. I bring people in that fit that system. We play the system, okay? Or you have your rah-rah dude. You have your inspirer. You have your general of armies who just gets people to play above their level on a consistent basis, and then that rising tide brings them success. Caleb Porter didn't really fit into either one of those boxes. He's kind of in between. He's Very much in of, between, He's done right? some of both. And as awkward as that could be at times, I think, in MLS, you can't argue with the overall championship success that the man has had. But I think that this way, the way that this roster is constructed with a lot of high character guys, a lot like truly like a locker room of genuinely awesome dudes who just so happen to be exceptionally talented soccer players, they need to bring in an inspirer coach. I think, and I, and I also think it's a guy that in large part mends maybe some busted up bridges between the fan base that have happened over the last couple years as well. If that guy is, whoever that guy might be, that's the type of coach that I would prefer to see the crew of hire. Give me the general of armies. Give me the leader. Give me the inspirer. Because I think that dude is like just the spark to a locker room doused in lighter fluid. Because when that happens, whoa. Because they, mm-hmm. totally. they, they already got a squad. They already got a squad, right? I think we can all agree yeah. that on paper, I said it in the radio broadcast the other day, the potential of this team is higher than literally any other crew team that I can remember. I'm going to let you guys continue this well, discussion. I, I, I just want to ask you yeah. one thing, and I'm going to ask these guys it, to end. So, You've been here. This is your second This is your second season, right? Third. Third, Third season? Okay. This is why I had to ask first. Um the fact that you had the fact that you had to ask go, go was back just and cut that part out, Sam. Regardless, she's never gonna no. come on again. I'm gonna I'm gonna leave leave it for, for that's gonna be why that will be the only reason why she never is on the massive report again. People will rip me. It's fine. I get it all the time. Uh, no, it's not like you're juggling multiple Dear things. Homework. In your three years working for the club, just a Caleb Porter memory or two that stands out to you. I, what a lot of people aren't going to be able to see, and Chris mentioned this on our radio show last week, is there were many a times before the games that Caleb and I are just going back and forth like in deep discussion about the team and tactics and questions about the other team. And I will remember the, um, the way he received my questions and allowed me to speak in those conversations because sometimes 
I've been in other places where that's not quite heard. And so I'll always remember that. Um, I'll remember 2020 after a crazy year, we got to call the game on the radio and walking down towards the locker room and Caleb coming out of the locker room with his wife and saying, we did it. We effing did it. It's our second effing today. And Both gave me a hug after a year of not interacting with the players at all, only seeing people on a Zoom link, and just the feeling that that had. Um, as someone who was a part of the team, but very excluded from the team in a way, and to know the joy that it that you feel when you win a championship. And so I'll, I'll always remember those two things. But I also think it's kind of ironic that this is the you have asked me to come on this podcast so many times and she keeps and monday nights is my golf gals night and it's over and this is the last you know here i am the last time getting to chat with you guys um but thank you for always asking me thank you for making me feel such a part of this community from the time i got here um it has been nice to work with you guys and to be family like this I've I've felt like I've belonged here since the moment I got here so I just really appreciate it well regardless of what happens next you'll always be part of the crew family mm-hmm. so I hope 1000 you know ring of honor Jordan and Jilly and Brett both yeah. you. you both won MLS cups Hi. so yes <laughs> thank you I mean, you were part of the family after MLS Cup when you came out and hung out with us in the park. That's right. I was, At like yes, one, yes, one yeah. o'clock in the morning. Our after party. Our after party. In the parking lot. Yes, that was fun. All right, we'll take your leave yes. now. I got to go now. Before you get too um, emotional. Bye, you guys. Thank you. Yeah, so you don't want me to cry on here, do you? Thank you for stopping by. Well, thanks, Jordan, again for coming on. That was a nice surprise. Thanks, Brett, for texting her. I've tried multiple times. She tells me no, including today, actually, when I asked both of you. I can't take credit for this, by the way. She no, just that was me. That's right. <laughs> as, as she often does, Jordan just shows up. That's a good point. And usually everything is better for it. Jordan mm-hmm. showed up one time, not to deviate this podcast too far from Caleb, but... Jordan showed up to a bar I was watching Sunday night football or Sunday football at one time I guess last year maybe two years ago I don't know um, I'd like mentioned it to her like a week before that I go to this place to watch football and she just showed up hung out with us for games it was great Dope. we had a good time um, I, this is something when Austin came up it was something I thought about earlier but wanted to ask you guys if Cincinnati and Austin don't both make the playoffs this year do you think that changes anything about what the crew decided to do that your biggest rival, and I use air quotes because they've only been a rival for a few years, and the owner that left tried to move your team, if, if, that, if they aren't having successful seasons, do you think that, do you think that altered anything in the thinking of, of the crew? Absolutely not. I think it was it was solely focused on this team not making the playoffs three out of four years. And what I think what made it harder is how it happened more than the fact that it happened. If they were if they were being unlucky or if they were getting blown out every game and they were just mm-hmm. downright horrible, it's one thing. It's I think another thing. Fire Caleb if that happens. Right. But it's another thing for it to um, to be the way it happened. Even if he even if he had made the playoffs last year, I think the way the way it happened this year was just brutal. 
and I don't think, I don't think anybody's, like, obviously we pay attention to Austin regardless, but uh, I would be lying if I said, if I didn't I say, if I didn't say to several of my FCC me. fans before the DC game that they're playing DC and just for them to remember that Miguel Berry plays for DC now. And I was hoping, oh, yeah, before, like before Brett started reading off the scores during the broadcast yesterday, I was like, ah, oh, crap, come on, one down, it's okay. Two oh, down, I was it's okay. I'm hoping, I'm hoping that at some point DC is going to make a game out of this. Oh, four and down? Yeah, it's, this they is over. They did score a nice goal, DC did. I, yeah, but it didn't matter. Yeah. He, he, uh, Wayne definitely played the kids in that game, and for large stretches of it, it showed. But, but that was also a FC Cincy team that knew the stakes and played like they needed to win the damn game. Um, whereas, I, and I know we haven't, and we're not going to, you know, we've still got to wrap stuff up, but I, I I'll just say, like, as soon as, especially after, the, you know, the Wednesday game, the Wednesday result, when you knew that all this team needed to do was draw to win, to make it in, the one thing then they've done well yeah, all it's, season. It's like, well, it's over. We're not making it. It's yeah. just because that's how this season has felt. You know, anytime you've needed a result, even when it's the result, you've got nearly 50% of the time, a historic amount. You just knew when you needed it, you weren't going to get it because whenever you've needed that point, needed this one thing, you haven't gotten, you didn't get it this year. So, um, it... it uh, you know, I, I I would have felt a lot better if FC Cincy had not made it. Um, uh, I, I'm I'm kind of ambivalent about Austin. They're out there in the Western Conference. They're doing their thing, whatever. Um, uh, when we face them and play them, it's it, it's sort of for me. I don't know. It's I don't. I never want to see Anthony Precourt. I want, I wish him nothing but failures in all of his endeavors. I want you know you know I I hope. He uh, works at a Fridays. That's all. He never gets off Fridays, and he works at a Fridays. That's all. He's busy on Fridays. Um, but you've I, thought that one out. Uh, I, I didn't come up with that. Um, but uh, you know, wish all the worst for him. But I don't really care about Austin. Other than that, they're they're doing their thing in the Western Conference. If we played them more, it'd be something. Cincy, that's the one that hurts. Um, to miss it, um, and. For them to make it, that that hurts. But I don't think that factors into the decision. Ultimately, it's the results or lack thereof um, on the field for Caleb. What's the what's the Mad Men reference? It's like it's not I a show I watch. I oh, I don't even think about you. I, it's like, even, I feel I, bad. I feel about, sorry for you. And I, I don't I don't think about you at all. Yeah, that's that that's exactly how I feel about Austin. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Um, I've. This this is I I promise I'll I'll circle the this the circle here in a minute. But I've always been a little confused by the the vitriol espoused from the Austin side of that kind of seriously uh, predicament because it worked out perfectly mm-hmm. for everyone. There was a lot of vitriol, right? especially during Save the Crew. Yeah, like, a I, I, lot. I've, I've always been a, 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 I don't even, gobsmacked, dumbfounded by that. Um, and I, I think, you know, in large part, it was, it was maybe more representative of the center than it had anything, you know, kind of reflecting upon, like, greater crewdom. Um, and in large part, I feel the same about Cincinnati. Um, 
and that's not like that's not a dig at Cincinnati. Mm-hmm. Um, though I, I, there were, I think everybody had at some point like a karma tweet saved in their drafts for if they were to miss the playoffs with yeah. the Anthony Precourt was right. Um, unprofessionalism that they showed in their game at, at TQL earlier this year. Um, absurdity aside on that, like it just was, I, I, I still can't believe, essentially yeah. that's a club statement, right? Like unequivocally, that's a club statement. If you put that on your scoreboard right. while people are walking into the building, yep. um, I, I thought that was beyond unprofessional. I'm shocked that there wasn't more fallout from that. Um, and, and even now, I'm still just gobsmacked that that was allowed to kind of happen mm-hmm. um, from their standpoint, quite mm-hmm. frankly. Um, but this FC Cincinnati team this year was is awesome. Yeah, and make no mistake about it, the firepower that they have going forward, all of those guys, by the way, who are trending red hot right now, they can 100% go out and win this thing. Like, don't, don't sleep on Cincinnati at all. And so, in large part, I wonder maybe if, if Cincinnati's kind of significant trend upward, we'll see if that's a trend, you know, see if that's form or class, right? Um, and if it's going to be consistent at all, because we know that it hasn't been in years past. Um, but it, it, I don't think it influences anything in the crew's decision. It definitely doesn't in, influence anything within my orbit in, in what I've seen from what, you know, what the team allows in, what the club allows in as far as uh, factors that move them one way or the other. That I don't think really made, made one, uh, one dent uh, in any, or any influence that, the, that they, they had in terms of decisions that they were to make. Um, I think the biggest reason is that is kind of what we alluded to earlier, that this is a squad, right? The spine of this team is full of dudes who are more than capable of contending for supporter shields. The depth, by the way, that was one of the goals for Caleb Porter this year was to improve upon the depth. The depth is 100% better. And you look at the guys and, from Crew 2 that are going to be regu- well, ready to graduate next year. And, and we'll see a little bit on, on the, that transition. I think mm-hmm. the, the, the more I watched Crew 2, the more I was convinced it was men against boys for a lot of the year. And that's yeah. not taking anything away from what they accomplished. Um, but, I mean, if you look at that starting 11 for Crew 2, oh, yeah. in, 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 if things are a little bit different, I think Sean Zawatsky is a, is a Sharpie in starter for this Columbus Crew team. It probably should have been maybe at times, and for whatever reason, just especially the just uh, little bit we saw it scored a yeah. glorious yeah. goal. Yeah, and 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 that Toronto game, it, that the first half of that Toronto game in Toronto, it, 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 that to me is kind of the that right there. Those forty-five minutes, that was the center of the maze in terms of some of the problems that they had going forward because they broke down a low block against a back three, mm-hmm. which is something they never did at any point throughout the year in any real other opportunity. Um, but the depth is better, and I think that really uh, lends itself to solidifying what is already a really strong foundation for the next guy to come in and build upon, and. Um, and so all of those factors make this 
job opening extremely attractive yeah. for any coach, especially one with an ML, with with MLS tier one ties. Mm. Like they're they're going to have kind of their pick of the litter, so to speak, it, of the guys that are available uh, because of the job is going to be so attractive. Two so hot, hold it? on, who, two hot day questions because one of them involves a coach. Two hot day questions. First is mostly rhetorical, but uh, Austin versus Cincinnati in MLS Cup final. Who are you taking? The Meteor. I would say Cincinnati, given what I mentioned earlier about the volatility that we've seen from Austin and, and, and where I think the quality of play that they have actually shown is not altogether relative to the results of their games. I felt like they just, like, the results have just been extra friendly, whereas Cincinnati has earned every single point as far as I'm concerned. Um, so I would, I would say not only would I pick Cincinnati, but I, I would actually feel fairly comfortable with that and saying, like, I think, I think they would control the game. Murph? I don't, I don't care. Checks notes. But in large Does part, yeah, I don't care. Yeah. yeah. I mean, like I, like, I guess, I don't know. Like, as fun as it was to be at both of the FC Cincinnati games this year and for the crew to win, like, it still only sort of feels like a rivalry to me. And the pre-court stuff, you know, I was, I was just kind of, I was more detached than Bart, for instance, mm-hmm. at that point, just covering it week and week and week after week, as opposed to, you know, being a fan as I've gotten back to being now. So, I don't know, it doesn't, you know, I don't, again, to agree with Bart, I don't want pre-court to have success, but like if they won... You know, I really like Josh Wolf, and I really yeah. like Hector Jimenez, and like even you know, I mean, yeah. When, Finn, when you, you look know, at all the yeah former yeah. crew players, yeah. you know, that's, that's there with half Austin. the team. Yeah, exactly. And again, and it's weird. And I kind of you know compartmentalize, you know, Austin and and Precourt in that. Like I don't, I wouldn't mind those players having good individual success, and you know, maybe even in the abstract, the team winning. I just don't want Anthony Precourt to have anything that. You know, he could he could look into as like justifying the decisions that he made, how he went about things, uh, the behavior that he displays um, as you know a, a big trust fund baby. Um, just does not should never ever be rewarded in any context. The other part is kind of Brett. You kind of hint at it came to mind while you were talking about the coaching, and it's like, you know. Would it be fair to look at, like, if Tata Martinez's Mexico flames out, if that's somebody that they bring in and they're like, hey, here's Cucho Hernandez and Luca Zellerian, huh? I don't want to deal with that guy. It's apparently not enjoyable to cover him, and he gets pretty crabby, from my understanding. I can see that. Doesn't doesn't quite surprise me, but... That's me, personally. Yeah. I mean, if we're talking about national team coaches that might flame out in the World Cup and have uh, need new jobs, you know, following it, I can think of another one that I've met. The English you know. national team head coach? <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, I, I said earlier I don't think Greg would take it. I was no, actually no, I talking. Don't think so really, I, I was talking with Adam Jardy about this earlier today because there was a basketball, Ohio State basketball thing. And I, look, for 
from I think most people's perspective, Greg went took a big step up from the crew to the national team. That'd be a big step. And to coming back, but this is a different crew organization with the resources that they have and the talent and everything. So if Greg did want to come back to MLS, it, it is an option. What I think is the biggest roadblock is I don't think you want to wait until after the World Cup to hire a head coach. And unless you somehow talk with Greg and know that he want, he's done with the U.S. regardless of how they do and he wants to come back, I, don't, I just don't think you can wait on that because you, you do have moves you want to make. Um, I hope to see Greg when I'm in Chicago and about a month so maybe I'll I'll bring it up to him but uh, I don't know I just don't think it makes a ton of sense I think if Greg coaches in MLS again it's probably with an LA team because of his connections to the Galaxy but you never know I, I, I wouldn't say completely no I wouldn't say it on the same level as I said Guillermo or Courtois yeah I mean what I'm about a, Guillermo's brother I, <laughs> I, I don't know about that <laughs> I, I, I think I'm not remotely like comfortable speculating on who I think it might be um, and, and when I think of guys who are like you know guys with head coaching experience who are assistants at, at teams around the league there are some guys out there that you would probably think are on a short list but I I really have no clue as to who would be like kind of like the betting favorite um, and I love that yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, I actually think that's one of the reasons why if if you're willing to allow, um, and I know sometimes crew fans, we sometimes have, we have a dis- tendency to think negative a little bit right off the bat, given what the, the team history. I, and I can touch on that I really quick, too. I cannot believe it. So, and, and, and Bart, you... you, you you just totally personified it for me in every single way possible <laughs> when you were talking about uh, pre-court a few minutes ago. Yeah. And I think it's important that we remember that contextually whenever we talk about this team, especially in a broad sense, the club with a capital C, right? That the pain and Strong, the trauma man. that that event caused is not something that's mended with time. I'm not even sure it's, it's, it's possible to be mended. I'm not sure it's necessarily even possible to move on in a complete, fully way. Uh, I mean, it, it'd be easier if Don Garber, you know, the guy who runs the MLS, who was part of the conspiracy, was not still running the show, but he is. Well, and, 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 and I don't know if that's true, but, but I, I, would un- I understand why people feel that way. And... and you know, if you want to stick it to Anthony Precourt, the best way is to not think about that dude and to make him irrelevant outside of your day, daily thoughts, especially when it comes to why you love this Columbus Crew team and why you show up. If, if you show up to spite Anthony Precourt, buddy, that's fueling everything that Austin does, right? But I also understand why that thought process exists. And I think in many ways that's kind of our Ohio-ness showing, right? <laughs> oh, yeah. The Ohio uh, against the world. You know, and, and, but also like our relative collective sports history. Mm-hmm. And it, that, that's not exclusive to Cleveland or Columbus or oh, yeah. Cincinnati. That's, that's our state at large. There mm-hmm. have been lots of traumatic sports memories that we have all experienced at one point or another in our lives. 
But in the context of, of, of this situation, this year was so frustrating, perhaps more than really any crew season that I can remember in, in my time um, as a fan, because the expectations were high because they needed to be. And for the most part, watching those expectations not be met is exceptionally frustrating. The expectations don't change for me from the end of this season to next year, regardless of who the coach is. That, by the way, is a massive change from yeah. this club's yep. history. Yep. Okay. Yep. In that it always felt like with the new guy, which was usually a downward trend, you were starting over. That's not the case for this team. Mm-hmm. That is something that is exceptionally positive. And you, like, that should be breathing life into how we talk about this team mm-hmm. and how we talk about the 2023 season and this new era of crew soccer mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that I think we are neck deep in right now mm-hmm. because the squad is unequivocally a squad. Yep. Are there tweaks and pieces that maybe need to move around or changed or whatever? Yes, unequivocally. But the foundation is hella strong. It's incredibly strong. It's trending in a fantastic direction, potential-wise. Find the guy to be able to bridge the gap from potential to reality, and you're going to see this team hit the ground at a full sprint come the end of February. Well said. I I mean, I think that that's what you have to do. I think it's interesting to look back. It's only one one hiring that, that this ownership group has made. But they did go with the guy that was the bigger name with the bigger track record, as you pointed to earlier, Bart. So you know, whether that means that's what they'll do again or not, I don't know. Um, it's a small but sample. The, but, but, but when we look at what they've done, you know, Elsewhere in the sports teams that they, you know, well, yeah, they, 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 that's never been, you know. No, the, you're right, but I mean. It's also a different animal. Yeah. And they're different, you know, Bez is a part of this decision. Yeah. They, you know, there, there are other people involved, not just the Haslam. And, and I, I don't remember the timeline exactly. And it was really close with Bez and Caleb. Yeah, they but were, did, it was almost a simultaneous thing. Yeah. But they were made aware I forget who was actually done first because they announced them, I think, together. Mm-hmm. But it was made aware that this was that's what direction they were going in either way. Um, since we've gone pretty long here, I'm going to wrap this up by asking you guys the same thing I asked Jordan. Bart, you've already mm-hmm. off air told us our answer. So if you can describe Caleb Porter... The favorite moment you had of Caleb Porter to those listening, um, that would be fantastic. So, so I've got I've got two quick. The one is the first time meeting him, and that was alluded to it earlier in the podcast. That uh, a fan summit at North High Brewing Co. He's just so cool. He's getting in there, met with all you know all the fans. That's you know I go back to that and went back to that throughout all the time when he talked about ruthless acceleration. Um, uh, I loved hearing that from the news. Just. So cool. That was something that, you know, Greg never did. Um, uh, and, and, you know, in the context of, you know, just saving this team, uh, it was just, it, it was such a palate cleanser. Um, and so, you know, that, and then my other, just the, in my mind's eye, I will always go back to Caleb in the locker room after uh, the win in 2020, 
with, uh, with the ski goggles on, surrounded by the players, and just doing the most kind of like awkward little shoulder dance. I mean, very much like my white guy moves at any dance at any time, but it was just, it, it was like great. He goes in there. Yeah, exactly. He goes in there, uh, gets it, and, and you know, just the uh, players go in wild after that. It was, you know, this is a guy that, you know, didn't, for, for, for as serious as, as, you know, he always was, it, it was fun to see kind of that light side of him there obviously after you know a a, a scenario where he can afford to you know have a little bit more levity um but uh uh, that's where i'm gonna always remember caleb porter he i've said this before to people uh touchdown chiefs um Kelsey, baby? That's good for the fantasy team. Uh, Cleveland, Ohio's own. Yeah. Um, the, when you, I have, a, I have a s- several examples of this. One of the tenets of my, all right, all right we're going to start this over. One of the tenets of my job is discretion. In fact, it might be my most, like, kind of important part of my job is knowing Knowing what's allowed in the public domain and what's not. Because the access that I've been afforded over the last four years has been pretty amazing, even in the COVID years. And knowing kind of that kind of moving target and when you can hit it and when you can't um, is not the easiest thing in the world. But there have been several situations where I expected Caleb to act one way and he did like a complete 180 that were almost always hilarious, that almost always involved a plane ride coming back from somewhere, those will always stick out to me. Um, the, the first trip I took with the team when we went back on the road full-time, July of last year, we flew, supposed to fly to NYCFC, mm-hmm. and, um, you know, I have been spoiled with the perks of private aviation over the last, you know, several years. And, uh, but this is my first opportunity for that. And so, you know, you walk in, imagine like a normal jet, but with first class seats front to back. Like it was fabulous. Okay. The world's worst weather has, in, is it like encapsulated New York City? We fly, we're in the air for like two hours. We land and we're like, where are we? We were in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. While we, we, we just Ooh. sat there and waited and waited and waited for this storm to clear up. If you know, you know, but what happened on that plane during that delay was some of the most fun I have ever had. And it was not necessarily a great time in the cruise season when that was going on. It showed to me the, the side that he never really showed publicly, which was like Caleb, like the man manager. Mm-hmm. And seeing like the flashes of that at several different points over the last several years, that's what I'll, I'll always kind of keep in the back of my mind was that he, at times he really knew what to say and what to do or what not to say and what to do. And I, and I think a lot of the guys gravitated towards that. Um, the other moment was, I forget which game it was last year, but they had gone a bit of a scoring drought. And I remember he had been getting questions about it, and he was frustrated that he had, and, and I think crew Twitter was up in arms about it as well, and you could tell he was frustrated with it. 
And I think Miggy scores, Miguel Berry scores, but I couldn't remember which game it was. And all he did right after it happened, who you know normally celebrates with the boys, mm-hmm. turns around, stares at me, and we just kind of like winked at each other, like at the same time. <laughs> and it like, and we just died. Like it was so funny. And and uh, you know, a lot of times I caught Caleb at the worst possible moment to be able to talk mm-hmm. to him. I was the first guy he saw at the the rawest of emotions. And. I think we both handled it as best we possibly could at every single junction. And so there's some grace there that he, he provided me uh, that you had to be grateful for and you have to express a lot of gratitude for. Um, so I wish him and the best, his wife, uh, you know, I wish her the best, their kids as well. Um, you know, I, I think I, I, I believe it was Morgan Hughes who, who tweeted this out earlier that when we celebrate that 2020 MLS Cup championship, Caleb and his family absolutely yeah. have to oh, be there absolutely. because they're yes. a massive factor. Yep. They don't yep. win MLS Cup no. without Caleb Porter in 2020. No question. And, and they, they will always be a part of, of this greater black and gold family, the club mm-hmm. with a capital C mm-hmm. from here and forever because that's, that's the very least that he deserves. Absolutely. 100%. Sam? Um, obviously, I don't have the same level of interaction as you, Murph, or obviously you, Brett. Uh, but I've had some fun little interactions with Caleb. And actually, it was, uh, it was amazing to me as much as we've heard about what his personality was like, that when he came to Columbus, he almost went out of his way just to, like, include us who are not reporters but still work in media for yeah. the club yeah and uh that was always fascinating to me not that and and greg actually kind of did the same but not to the same level i think we've talked with greg in different ways but uh i remember our first time in lower.com field and we were getting the tour on where like we were supposed to go and stuff like that and it was me and ralph Shudell. And uh, the intern who was taking us down there took us down the wrong way, and we went down towards the player locker room through the club. Yeah. And um, went right instead of left. Yes. Yeah. And they're like, "Wait, wait, wait! Where are you guys going?" And we're like, "We don't know. We're just following what <laughs> this where they told us to go." And they're like, "Oh, you need to come this way." And they're like, "Okay." So we are walking back towards the door, and here comes Caleb. Uh, from whatever practice was going outside, everybody's masked. We're not even supposed to be within 100 yards of yeah. each other. And he was like, Ralph, Sam, what's up, guys? And he comes and fist bumps us and give us high fives. And then we're like, uh, we better get going because they're getting yelled at. And he was like, oh, okay, all right, I'll see you guys later. You broke COVID <laughs> contained. Right. And he just he just goes in. And that was Tim just Miller's like. Tim Miller's going to be so mad. So bad. Yeah, we were laughing. And I think Tim's head almost exploded. Uh, because he saw it happen, and he saw, it, and he wasn't like going to interrupt Caleb and tell him not to touch yeah. us. Um, so that was one. The other one actually really was my first interaction with Caleb, and it was at an opening of one of those uh, little uh, soccer fields that they did at the school, the mini pitches, and he he had just started with the team, and I I, I literally went up to him and I asked him, and it was actually oddly enough about giving up late goals during games. <laughs> and it was me, it was Jay Garris, it was Ralph. Anyway, it was a bunch of photographers. None of us are reporters. We're, right. we're photographers. And he stood there and he talked about it for 20 minutes. Like, literally talked about it for 20 minutes. And I'm like, we're all carrying cameras, so it's not like we were giving off a vibe that is not us. Yeah. 
Uh, but his willingness uh, at that moment and in any other moment that I filled in at practices or press conferences to sit there and talk and explain and elaborate sometimes a little too much, um, I always appreciate it. Uh, I even more appreciated that I felt that he trusted me enough as a member of the media that after the press conferences, it's just me and Jacob. You know, if, if I'm there filling in and he would stand there and talk with us off the record about stuff and answer questions. And it was like, I, I, as somebody who's been doing this for 14 years now, I just really appreciated that about him. Um, so those are my, my, of course, 2020, because I about like screamed my lungs off. And I know your media, you're not supposed and to. And let me this. just say on that note, like, you know, Caleb, I think, you know, he's going, he's going to end up landing on his feet. It may be, you know, I don't know if he's coaching an MLS next year, but he will be back again. And I do not want, I, I mean this in the, in the best way. Him. I do not at all want to face Caleb Porter again. Um, uh, uh, I, I want to see him the Western well. Conference. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Go, go to the West. Western Conference. Um, you know, uh, uh, do whatever you need to do. I, I do not want to see Caleb Porter again, uh, uh, but I do hope when he, uh, uh, you know, when he does visit Crew again, um, that he gets the you know applause and standing ovation that he deserves because he did win those again uh, as many trophies as Ziggy Schmidt. Um, so uh, uh, that's a credit. Uh, I will keep it somewhat brief. But the first press conference that he had, I, I referenced earlier, he was staying there talking to us. When I went up and introduced myself, because during the hiring process, I'd gotten his number from somebody. and It was me. I'll reveal it. It was not. But, <laughs> and I'd reached out to him because I'd heard he was going to be the guy. And you know, I was trying to find somebody else to confirm it. And I was like, well, I have his phone number. I might as well try. So I texted him and said, hey, you know, and, this is who I am and you know never heard anything back and so when I introduced myself to him he goes Patrick Murphy do I have we met before and I was like no and he was like all right and we just continued on talking and then at one of the min the first mini pitch thing it was the first time Caleb and I were staying there alone and I was just like hey uh is this your phone number like I just wanted to confirm that it was actually him he looks at it by phone and he's like yeah and he's like oh that's where I knew your name from he's like you were the one who texted me when I had no idea who you were. And I was like, he's, like, he's like, sorry I didn't get back to you. Like, you know, I just couldn't say anything at that point in time. And I was like, no. And he was always very, very, you know. It, it was funny that he remembered that because I'm sure he got a thousand text messages when that news started to come out. Um, and then just any conversations we've had, you know, soccer, um, that game in Toronto, the most recent game in Toronto when, when uh, um, Zawatsky scores I was on a plane flying out to Denver I think and I was somehow able to watch it on the plane oh we had, we had to land in it's a long story anyway I was able to watch the game and after the game we were still sitting on the runway and you know, it was well after the game at this point and I texted him, which I generally didn't do after games, but I just said, you know, hell of a win for you guys, or something along those lines. And I assume you you guys, Brett, were back on the plane, and, and he had a couple drinks or something already, because he just wanted to text about it, and like, <laughs> you know, and he was so excited. And, that was a good plane ride. Yeah, and he he was like, he's like, I want you to know, he's like, 
you're a good dude, and I don't want anyone to ever tell you otherwise. You know, <laughs> things like that. And it was, a, it was just such a funny conversation. We have some writers that would disagree uh, with that. Yeah, sentiment. Uh, lots of people. Would disagree. I am starting to judge Caleb's port- or Caleb's character <laughs> very much right now, and no, his judgment, yeah. no doubt about it. But like Brett said, he's a guy I will certainly keep in contact with. Um, I also think it's important to recognize that his staff is all leaving as well. Um, and you know, Brett, I know you've gotten to know some of really those well. guys pretty well and, and you know we wish them nothing but the best as well Pablo, Pablo Morera 330 boy right uh, is a guy that I, I've gotten to know Eric Quill who in large part I think was uh, you know the glue on, in that coaching staff for large stretches of the team um, Blair Gavin going on to other professional opportunities um, rising star in American soccer coaching you heard it here first uh, and then the most mis- interesting man in MLS is Columbus Crew goalkeeper Tim Hanley. And I'm not kidding. That's not hyperbole. He is the most interesting man in the league. He has incredible old school American soccer stories that if you ever get the opportunity to ask him about, please do because they're fantastic. Uh, they, 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 you would talk about a tireless, thankless job at, time, job at times. That's what they have. Uh, and, and so, uh, you know, wish them all the best as well. Well, this has been our longest podcast in a while, I think. That's my fault. Like no, two or three years. Yeah, no, like, I think yeah. that's good. I think there was a lot to talk about, and I think we needed to, to get into all of it. Brett, thank you for coming out. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Jordan, I know she's not here anymore, but but thank her for, for stopping by and giving us a surprise. Bart, as always. Sam, thanks for making us sound good. We are the Massive Report podcast here at Saucy Brewworks, and they probably want us to leave because uh, they're closing this side of the the building. Yep. So um, we will have at least one more episode, yeah. possibly two, just depending on when things start coming. Yeah, down. we'll do something. We'll talk more about the non-Caleb stuff, as Sam mentioned earlier. Crew Two won the MLS Next Pro Cup. They they deserve their own episode. We'll, we'll talk about them. We'll talk about changes that are coming this off season. Third and, man and running Crew Two, all game. Anytime, anytime a forward pass, there was a someone, there was a third person running every single time. You'd love to see. It. Yeah, they're fun to watch. Um, you can't watch them anymore. I've said it all year, though. If you miss them, you missed a lot because they're fun. Anyway, we're gonna get out of here. But thank you all. Like, subscribe. Hopefully, Brian will be back for the next one. But um, we will talk to you all later.